This is the Love Your Team podcast, where we discuss strategies for sales managers like you and me to retain our top talent and build strong teams that consistently outperform. I'm your host, Helen Finucci, and I've been leading teams for more than 25 years, most of the time hybrid, some people in the office and some remote. Join us for this episode. This episode tackles the question of how much management is too much. How do we know our teams are actually working when we can't see them in the office? We'll discuss strategies for converting the frustration you may be feeling into opportunities to build stronger relationships and retention with your team. I'm joined today by my co-host, Susan Finch. Susan's an amazing podcast producer and my friend who will be asking some questions that might be on your mind and offering helpful perspectives. Hi, Susan, and welcome to this episode. Hey, Helen, I love coming into the Love Your Podcast studio when we're recording this. It is so much fun. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I really like the topic this week too. So I'm ready when you are. And I have to tell you, this made me laugh. When you told me that you wanted to tackle this topic, listen to this folks, talent is like a wet bar of soap. There is a visual. (laughs) I know. Well, (laughs) yeah. You know, I was thinking about when you can't see your employees in the office, there might be a tendency for exerting more control. Like, how do we really know that they're working? And I thought, well, this is like a wet bar of soap. If you squeeze it too hard, it's going to slip out of your hand. And if you like overmanage or micromanage or exert too much control, I don't know, your employees might say adios. And that wouldn't be good either. Have you ever had that situation? I've seen it. And I've heard so many friends talking about the ridiculousness of working for a company that doesn't trust them, never has trusted them, and wants to force them back in the office just to be able to keep their eye on them. What a waste of time. And how sad that it sounds to me like they didn't hire right in the first place. Well, I can really understand that point of view. I really get it. And the situation is that there are a lot of people, a lot of managers who maybe as a result of the pandemic are managing employees remotely for the first time. And I can see how that would be scary. And everyone's adapted in some fashion since the pandemic's gone on for so long. But the reality is that if you're forcing people to come back in the office when they've had an experience that we've all gone through, some of them are going to not like that. They've dispensed with the commute. They've had more time with their families. And, you know, when companies have these big mandates, they may not be taking into account the whole picture. And one of the things that I love is managers have so much opportunity to really shift how their employees feel about their work. And I always think about being a manager is it's personal. You got to be personal with your employees. And years ago, when I was managing both a in-person and remote 
workforce, you know, I navigated and found ways to get to know my employees on a remote basis. And sometimes there's this tendency when you see people in the office to kind of favor proximity. And I think that that can create disruption in the team where some team members might feel, oh, I'm a first-class citizen if I'm in the office and a second-class citizen if I'm remote. So that's a tricky thing to watch out for, for sure. It's a super tricky thing, but there's something that I also heard from many people that were used to being more behind the scenes and quieter and never heard, that they love the hybrid working in the meetings because everybody's head is the same size. On the screen. Yeah. And it's made a huge difference for them where they feel a little braver to speak up and to engage. And it's been an interesting shift for some of my shyer friends that were so accustomed to just being like run over by the big personalities. Wow, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that one, but I can see how with the technology as it is today it could create more of a level playing field where everybody's logged in, everybody's kind of in the same environment. And it's great that folks that have been shy in the past feel more free to speak up. I also think it's important that managers and even others in the room, quote unquote, the room, meaning the virtual room, whether it's Teams like Microsoft uses or Zoom or what have you, encourage all voices to speak up. I think that that's kind of the onus is on everybody from a inclusion point of view. You brought up a good point. You said managers that were used to managing people in person were thrust into being experts instantly at remote team management when maybe they've never even experienced that, never seen it, definitely haven't been trained in it. And that's a lot of adjustment for team leaders. Yes, it is. I've heard stories and you talk with folks and I've talked to to a few people who all of a sudden we're all working from home and their managers are IMing them periodically and they're expected to respond within five minutes. And if they don't, then their manager calls them and goes, you know, what are you doing or what have you? So it ends up being a overexertion of control. As I said, squeezing the bar of soap and it it leaves. So that doesn't feel great for the individual. In fact, she told me that was one of the reasons she left her job to go work for another company. I've also seen it. Another way that that can show up is if managers are doing fire drills, if you will, asking for something quickly, like a fast turnaround to, I don't know, update your pipeline or give me a status on XYZ. That might be another way that managers are consciously or unconsciously confirming that their employees are actually on the job. And one of the things I think is super important, just it's kind of fundamental or foundational as a management strategy is give your employees outcome-based objectives. Don't worry about that day-to-day activity. Measure them on progress towards bigger objectives. And gosh, I learned this early on in my career. When I got promoted to a manager role, 
I thought my job was to tell employees how to do their job. (laughs) After all, I was the manager, the boss. It sounds funny now, but that's what I thought. So most managers think that when they get promoted. Yes, I think that that could be that could be true for sure. And some of our listeners might feel that way. And what I discovered over time was that actually my team members had some creative and way better ideas than I had about how to go about getting the job done. And that was pretty eye-opening to me. And so I kind of, at that point, shifted my perspective and said, hey, what I need to do is just give them the outcome that I'm expecting to see. And it could be, obviously, there's achieved revenue results. That's kind of a longer, bigger term objective. So you got to also break that down. And one of the things that is common that people do, which myself included, is you go, well, given our close rate of a third of our opportunities in the pipeline close, make sure you have a pipeline that represents three times your revenue objective. And you can measure that easily out of CRM and then checkpoint where they are and set up ongoing kind of opportunities to check in to see how they're doing against that goal. I think that's a great, great way to help make it simple and drill that down to a tangible objective too. I mean, it's finite. You know the goal, you know where the failure is, which failure, whatever you want to call it, no closes. So you know how to keep that there. That helps. But getting back to the micromanaging piece of that, I think that what we're forgetting too is managers have an opportunity now more than ever Everybody is more accessible than ever, actually, than they were in the office. And they're accessible to have very private, deep, good conversations, 100% focused. I mean, you've heard it, the Zoom fatigue and stuff. Why do we get fatigued being on camera? Because we are on. I am looking at you. I have nothing else going on around me. I'm 100% focused. And so the people that we are meeting with, whether it's our managers, whether managers are meeting with their team members or a collection of the team or select group. We all show up, we're all visible because you can't hide your screen. We're all visible and we're all the same size and we can all weigh in. And I think it's just a fantastic opportunity for managers to take advantage of to really hear and discover, like you were saying, those hidden talents, the hidden gifts that people can bring that you wouldn't have thought of because you don't have their life experiences. And this whole time along, we all kind of sit with ourselves a little bit more now too, and we muddle through things, noodle it around in our heads. It's like, huh. And now we can bring it up and talk about it a little bit more. Are you seeing that happen more? Yeah, it's an interesting point of view. My experience, when people are on a video call as a team, it's harder for me to get the interaction. And I think people are still reluctant to reveal themselves, particularly personal things and non-business things in a bigger team setting. So what I find, and I think it's a common human emotion to be reluctant to share, but what I find is I have much more successful conversations that are personal to really get to know somebody on a one-on-one basis. I also am more apt to 
kind of share my frustrations or empathize because of situations that we might both be in. And the employee might bring something up and say, gee, this is really difficult. And one of the examples that came up recently was looking at, they were talking about how tough it was that their kids that were sent to school now with Omicron were back at home. And I shared with them that I had sole custody of my kids when they were growing up. And I was just trying to keep my head above water, go to work. I always went to the office during that time in life. And unless my kids were sick, then I would work from home, but it was really, really challenging. And so a lot of my team members don't know, I guess I hadn't shared that I had experienced trying to work and hold things together as a mom simultaneously. And in a one-on-one setting that came out more than I guess when I, when I have my team together, I'm super careful about the agenda and the amount of time I keep people in the team meeting and make sure that it's business relevant. Because think about, think of 12 team members, myself, that's 13 people. Think about how expensive that meeting is, so to speak. So I want to make sure it's business relevant. So I tend to save the more personal getting to know you conversations for one-on-ones. That's a great point. And it is something I don't think a lot of managers and people are realizing with the ease of setting up remote meetings and inviting everybody and making everybody show up. Yeah. To put a dollar on that. Yeah. I'm really careful and judicious about not adding superfluous (laughs) meetings, um, extra meetings on the calendar and just really keeping it for the vital few things that I really think we need to talk about as a group or communicate. My team knows also that if they need me, they can reach me. I tell them how to reach me meaning text me on my phone or IM me through Teams because I absolutely want to be accessible for them, but I'm careful about how much time I put on the calendar. And my default is meeting with my team members every other week for a half hour. I have some team members that have asked for weekly meetings instead of every other week. And it's usually during critical deal times when they want to have a standing meeting to make sure that we have that opportunity to connect. Right. And sometimes just because of holidays or what have you, it'll go a little bit longer, but my standard is every other week. And that enables me to check in too, to see how are they doing and make sure that I'm not, if you will, squeezing the bar of soap too tight, that I'm giving them the freedom and opportunity to provide an update without me kind of micromanaging them. And wondering about that line too, though, that you're talking about, I'm available to you. If you're under me, I'm available to you. What the expectations are, the realistic expectations of the team being available to the manager. You talked about those respond within five minute type of check-ins. And I've watched people abuse time. It's tough. When your boss texts you at seven o'clock and you're on a date with your husband, but it's still your boss. And so 
do you respond then? Are those boundaries set? And vice versa, if your employee is like freaking out about something, it's 10 o'clock at night on Saturday, this can wait. It's how do you recommend or how do you handle those types of respects and boundaries? Yeah, that's a really good question, Susan. And frankly, I think my thought process about that has changed over time, partly because the culture of Microsoft has changed over time. So on the weekend, if I get a text message, I will usually respond because I'm usually available. But as some people know, I don't always carry my phone with me. Um, I'm not wed to my phone, so to speak. In the evening, I don't get many text messages. And so what I do with my team when I'm communicating with them, and a lot of it is email for sure, is if I'm working later in the evening, let's say, I will set it up to delay the delivery of my email so I can get my work done in a time frame that works for me, but then I'm delaying the email till the next morning, let's say at 8 a.m. So it's more in line with their work hours. And then, you know, so asynchronous work. So I do that deliberately. I also deliberately do not send emails on the weekend or, you know, I was talking about late at night or after hours, so to speak. I'm really trying to be respectful of my employees' time, sort of quote unquote, outside of work hours. If they choose to work later hours and maybe during the day they're, I don't know, at a dance recital or a kid's little league game, they may want to work off hours and that's, you know, their choice. But I really try to be respectful of that. And I find that my management chain is also quite respectful as well. So I don't tend to get off our IMs or phone calls um, from my management chain. So that that's not really been an issue. In the past, it was much more an always-on culture in certain work groups, and that's evolved over time to be more respectful of yes. people, you know, people's time. Yeah, I think that's a great place to wrap up this episode. My homework for everybody today is review just that one aspect. What are those boundaries that you set and respect and that you hope others will too from your team? When do weekends and holidays really matter? And when is it okay to bust through that and say, I really need you? Yeah, I think it's really a great question, Susan. And it's, you know, really, it comes down to personal expectations and company culture. And, but it is something that I think respecting the individual and their time is more and more critical for managers to consider. And I'm super excited about our next episode to talk about setting performance expectations and how we check in with our teams. And I think it goes hand in glove with this episode we just have been speaking about. I think it's perfect. Can't wait for it. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Hey, everybody, don't forget to subscribe. Look for loveyourteampodcast.com or find us at all your favorite podcast venues. We will be there soon. Thank you for joining us for the Love Your Team podcast. Please subscribe and review us in all your favorite podcast venues. Share this show with your own team. If you have topics or guests to suggest, please let us know. Love your team at FunnelRadio.com.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. 